Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. What's good, Internet? You are listening to a special Waypoint Radio, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. So about a year ago, our friend Emmanuel over at Motherboard forwarded me a pitch for an oral history of Guitar Hero, and while the pitch was good... I admit, I had my doubts, because if you read a lot of online writing, the oral history format has gotten a little bit debased. Uh, I don't think it's necessarily overplayed, but there were a lot of places putting out oral histories that maybe were they oral histories? Were they really? I don't know. Uh, In my view, great oral histories take you back to a place and time from the perspectives of the people who were there. And there's a lot of pretenders out there who are just interviewing a couple folks about a topic and calling it a day. And all those cut-rate oral histories kind of made me skeptical of the entire format. Uh, So, for my lack of faith, I guess I was punished uh, last fall when our guest here, Blake Hester, turned in an absolute monster of a 70-page history of the making of Guitar Hero 1. And if you're listening to this podcast, you can read the final edited version of that article on our website this week. And I highly recommend that you uh, book an hour or so to do that because it is tremendous. It takes us back to the founding of Red Octane, Harmonix, the company's struggles to find an identity for themselves at the turn of the century, and then their decision to partner up and make a game about playing guitar. And you'll hear from just about everyone who was at those companies at the time, people who worked on licensing the music, the store reps who placed the first orders for this weird little game. Uh, I, I have to say, this, this is, uh, in my view, what an oral history uh, should be and more. Uh, so Blake did a hell of a job, and it's an incredible read. Um, and I don't want to do the thing where we cover the article so well that people don't read Blake's work. Uh, so I wanted to start out with just a couple topics though, uh, while we've got Blake here, um, Blake prior to reading this, the way I remembered guitar hero, the whole guitar hero rock band thing kind of actually came from a place of acrimony because so much was said and believed following the split of those two companies that, that red octane went with Activision, uh, harmonics went with, uh, Viacom. And there was kind of this narrative that I recalled, which is that, well, Harmonix made the game. Red Octane was just the publisher. They didn't do shit. Uh, And kind of Guitar Hero was just kind of a stolen IP. Um, How did you find, how did you find the truth of the matter as you started to dig dig into this? Sure. Uh, First off, thank you for the intro. That's, uh, I think, the best intro I've ever had. Um, But I think the, the split between the two parties 
is best looked at kind of 50-50. Obviously, with Guitar Hero, there is a um, a very large plastic peripheral that came with it. And so while, you know, both parties had their hands in different pots, Harmonix was really developing the game and the software, and then Red Octane was in charge of manufacturing the controller and, you know, the specifications of it and making what Harmonix was dreaming up for it a reality on top of the other like publisher necessities like marketing and getting the things to retailers. But yeah, I think like Harmonix couldn't make this game without Red Octane. Red Octane couldn't make this game without Harmonix. And it was more of a collaborative process than people might have assumed when that split happened. And people at both in both parties are super open about like, no, this was a joint thing. We were working together. You know, this wasn't, they didn't take the finished product and then reap the rewards of it. Like we were working in tandem with each other. I am curious because I think sometimes enough time goes by. There's so much water under the bridge. The people's view does soften of these things. I am curious as you started to get into this, was mo- do you do you think there was acrimony there at the time between people on either side of the split, or do you think that was always more of a a fan projection? It seems like right now most people have a very warm recollection of it because it is the special time. It was an exciting invention sure. of a new thing that they're rightly proud of. But I am curious, like, do you think there's a bit of rose tinted uh, recollection happening here, or do you think it was always more of a uh, fanboy scorched earth thing that we were projecting onto this complicated story. Per, I, I don't know. It's it's weird, right? Because when I talk to people, there didn't seem to be any hard feelings towards specifically like Red Octane and the people that were at Red Octane. That was all focused on Activision, you know, the company that bought Red Octane. And there, I think, like, it, it's in the story, there are still a lot of harsh feelings for what Activision did to that brand, even though, you know, Harmonix went with its own parent company and was under Viacom for a while while doing Rock Band. Um, Whether or not there was, like, bitterness at the time between Harmonix and Red Octane, it's hard to say. But, yeah, the impression I got talking to these people, you know, 15 years on was, no, Activision is what kind of fucked this whole thing up and kind of ruined this thing that we held near to us. You know, one thing I was thinking about as I read it is um, sometimes you look at an invention and you think, well, somebody was first, but there was enough in the air in terms of technology ideas that it would have existed, not necessarily in the same form, but like something like this would have come along. And I look at Guitar Hero, and I'm not sure you can say that. Like, reading how this all came together... It seems to me that Harmonix had made plenty of music games their own way, and none of those had really set the world on fire. Yeah. Um, and Red Octane was kind of the only company that was maybe desperate enough to even throw a Hail Mary pass like this. Because one of the things you do lay out is both these teams, both these companies – had a lot of good reasons to suspect this was not going to work out super well. Uh, and so I look at this entire thing, and the the impression I get after reading your story is that if this hadn't happened there and then with this group of people, 
it wouldn't have happened. Yeah, I agree. I mean, at the time, there were other games in that niche, but they weren't super popular overseas. Like there was, or in America, I should say, sorry. Um, Like there was Guitar Freaks, which is kind of the proto Guitar Hero. But there, there's a quote in the story from Corey Fong, who worked on the um, marketing side for Red Octane, where he, where you know, they they had this idea to go for it, and they they were wondering if it was a good idea. And Corey was like, they had no clue how bad of an idea this really was, and <laughs> that this shouldn't have worked. And I I agree that I think had these two not done it, I don't think we would have seen something like this, at least in the states. One of the things that jumped out at me as well, like Harmonix is this legendarily musical studio. Uh, and this was kind of a bit of the lore that grew up around the studio as, as well. Like I think it became an, a defining characteristic of it, but it really does. It, it really is striking. There's a lot of great passages uh, in the piece, some of which I think we made you cut um, because they're <laughs> extremely in the weeds. Sure. Um, I think there's there might be a book at some point that people maybe want to read if they really want to get that uh, nitty gritty. Because um, because there, there's a there was a point where I think you had uh, one of the gameplay programmers Eric Brosius describing in detail how like the principles of adapting a piece of music to the note tracker, and I was reading it and I was like, this is fascinating, but I also feel like I need someone with a laser pointer and like a dozen slides to explain it to me. Sure, yeah, uh, but. One of the things that comes through in all this is, like, as you pointed out, Guitar Freaks existed. Like, people had the idea, oh, a game where you pretend to play music and you mm-hmm. do that with a controller. That's that's cool, whatever. It seems like nobody else would have, A, had the expertise, and B, cared enough to do what Harmonix did, which is really figure out how do you create the sensation of being a musician, of actually playing a song. Mm-hmm. While fundamentally, you're also just playing Simon Says while a song a song plays. Uh, and so the, the ways that harmonics approach this uh, seem to go way, like even if you played a, a fair bit of Guitar Hero, it was really striking reading this, how much thought went into every single one of those sensations that I think you may have started take, taking for granted if you played a bunch of it back in the day. Yeah, that that also came down to like the visual presentation of the game, which I found really interesting. Like actually hiring, you know, poster artists that made actual rock posters and be like, you know, can you can you help us design some shells for this game or the loading screens and actually bringing that lifestyle because a lot of the guys in harmonics are in bands or were in bands previously and had done their share of you know crappy tours and the the way that influenced guitar hero i think made it something that even if you didn't know this was if you didn't have the insight of the development it it still translated to players as something that wasn't like (laughs) <laughs> wasn't posing almost if that makes sense like it had a it had an authenticity there or a passion that i think kind of spoke through just the product of it if there's one moment i had to say that i was like really struck by how like this thing was not a guaranteed success even if you say okay what well, was this lightning in a bottle idea um that's all well and good but even in the point where it was in the production pipeline and they were getting poised to release this thing out in the wild 
it still feels in the story like this was a really near run thing where one, there was no guarantee that they were actually going to get this in front of enough people that it would build an audience and word of mouth could do its thing. And two, there was no guarantee that they would actually be able to afford their full run of production and get it all out to stores in time to make it a commercial success. And it really seems like in that last like summer and fall, as they are launching this thing, this really does sort of seem like Red Octane's finest hour in particular, as they just pulled out all the stops trying to make this thing happen by hook or by crook. Yeah, um, that it, it was one of those things that was hard to pinpoint, like the exact reasoning when writing is like, why did this thing work out? What was the, you know, marketing tactic they did or press outlet they got it in front of that put the steam behind it? Um, yeah, it was also interesting hearing almost how it was too successful too quick for a company as small as Red Octane that just couldn't meet the demand of this thing that was taking off in a way neither party could have ever expected and at least on the harmonic side had no thoughts that it would ever be that successful um so it's like them kind of scrambling to meet their own success was a fascinating um story to get to hear well this kind of sets us up for those issues are how an activision ends up getting in the picture mm-hmm. right that so the, i mean they, this thing had blown up so quickly that to an extent uh, you you have this company sitting on a gold mine that people didn't realize existed, but there was no way they were ever going to be able to exploit it fast enough. Um, that that they wouldn't be able to fulfill the demand. Uh, the mm. scale of this thing was moving beyond their capacity to uh, manage. And you kind of, you know when you have an Activision there waiting in the wings ready to take all that on um you kind of see why you can't just say well no we'll just bootstrap this ourselves yeah um you know the, you you can't compete at that scale um you don't have the expertise and i don't i don't know if i picked up the sense uh from your piece but the pattern is certainly they had proven a market existed Mm-hmm. One way or another, a big company probably would have stepped in and satisfied some of that demand if Red Octane had not been able to keep the wheel turning fast enough. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think I think Red Octane recognized what it had on its hands, but also recognized the limitations of itself as a company. Charles Huang, who was one of the co-founders of Red Octane, said like, you know, Get Guitar Hero was only a billion dollar franchise because of Activision. They had the resources and they had the people to make that happen, to make those global launches happen in a way Red Octane just wasn't prepared for. So in that way, like it makes sense that, you know, someone like or someone like Activision swooped in very quickly and took it. And I think Red Octane had the foresight to know like they couldn't they couldn't make it what it could be themselves. Hold up. 
Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I was also struck by how quickly it feels like as sort of sore as a lot of the harmonics folks might have been to see Guitar Hero go under new management to be in a shootout with the likes of Neversoft. Mm -hmm. Um, I was also struck by how quickly the Red Octane folks, now in their recollections, are saying that it kind of felt like, um, you know, a bit of a Lando Calrissian, you got Invader to show up to Cloud City, you know, this deal just keeps getting worse and worse. Uh, it, it seems like it didn't take long before Red Octane was certainly experiencing buyer's remorse as they they kind of didn't have a seat at the table the minute the ink was dry. Yeah, I uh, I guess I don't have the knowledge to know how much that decision to sell Red Octane to Activision was made, you know, democratically, or if it was just the people at the top making the decision for everyone. But I think a lot of the people under, you know, leadership at Red Octane felt really burned about the way Activision, you know, annualized it and ran it into the ground and seeing that genre not have the legs that people might have thought it could have if it became a smaller thing. This was something I've been thinking of about a lot ever since I read the draft of this. So I've been sort of turning this over for a couple months. Like on the one hand, I do, I do totally believe the conventional wisdom that like when you laid it out in the piece, just how many music games came out at this tempo, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, not just the mainline releases, but also the, uh, you know, expand alones, focusing on bands, uh, you know, the, the spinoffs, like there was a lot there were a lot of music games uh, coming out in a at a rapid fire clip, and so to an extent, absolutely, they they did run this thing into the ground. Uh, the demand was more than satisfied, and eventually, people were just kind of sick of these games um, and and couldn't. It was no longer worth it to keep up with them. On the other hand, I I I, I do wonder, and I, I'm curious because I I'm I am certain you spent way longer than I have. Uh, thinking about the arc of these games. Do you think that if it had been handled a little more responsibly, if the tempo hadn't been so intense, do you think the music games would have stuck around? Like, do you think that moment could have been prolonged where to this day people are being like, Hey, let's, let's bust out the, uh, the rock band kit. Let's bust out guitar hero. Or do you think this was always going to sort of hit a wall and begin to fade away? I don't know. Yeah, I have thought about this because it's like people complain about annualized series still today, but Call of Duty still sells better than, you know, anything else. But like I do something someone said to me during it that I thought was interesting was 
there was a lack of innovation in terms of there was only so much they could do with those games before players just picked up a guitar of their own and went down that path. And, you know, there's so much more room for experimentation and creativity there than something like Guitar Hero or Rock Band can offer. So I, I don't know if I have an answer or even a speculation. I think I think at the very least, if it wasn't pumped out so quickly and there weren't so many iterations coming out in a single year, then it would have had longer legs, whether or not it would still be in 2021. We're getting Guitar Heroes, I can't say, but it is something I thought about and I don't know, because they, cause they have tried to bring it back a couple of times. Uh, Harmonix has put out two new rock bands in the time since they stopped annualizing it and I think neither of those did very well. But yeah, it, it, it's one of those things that's hard to say, but I do think about and I don't know, it, it bums me out in a way that there aren't more games like that. I guess it lives on in like Clone Hero, but I, it, it bums me out that there doesn't seem to be a market even for that to resurge in a way like <clears throat> when you see these rock bands not do as well as other ones that... Well- yeah, I mean, it's it's so weird because, I mean, for me, I feel like when the new rock band came out, the, th- the all that I heard about was two things. One, it sounded like kind of a pain in the ass to redo your music library uh, yeah. through that. And so I was like, the thought of digging through my old PSN account and getting all the stuff I'd bought often on an impulse late at night surrounded by friends possibly drunk. Like I was I was like, oh, I don't know if I can like recovering that sounds like a nightmare. Mm. Um, especially when you factor in, like, I think there were weird exceptions. Like, I don't think the Beatles rock band stuff was, I'm not sure that was allowed to be carried forward, uh, in the same way. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, but then the other issue was that if memory serves, they had peripheral problems. Uh, the plastic gear was not as good, uh, when they sort of relaunched it. And so it's like one of those things where you're trying to spin up this machine that was really humming 10 years ago. And now you got to kind of recreate it. And people remember how good it was at its peak and the, having the standard sort of go back to a, well, we're, we're doing this over again. That's, that's rough. It is, it is rough to bring back. Um, But that being said, I, I, I totally get what you're saying because what I remember really marking the end of the rock band guitar hero phase in my friend circles. It wasn't that people were sick of guitar hero or rock band. It was that the people who were most into it, the thing that made it this whole crowd pleasing, like social experience for the entire friend group. A lot of folks began to getting in, getting in real music. Like I remember suddenly, yeah. uh, people were like, um, oh, you know, I'm messing around a lot on uh, rocksmith now, which is mm-hmm. like a pretty serious, like guitar tutorial program. Yeah. Um, and next thing I know, there was like the cut down group of people still playing rock band. And then there were people off playing in a makeshift band, learning to play together. And I think in a weird way, like I'm sure that is exactly what people at harmonics would have prayed was going to happen. But at the same time, it definitely is kind of those victims of its own success thing because it formed this perfect on-ramp for a bunch of people who wanted to get into music, but it also began to divide the audience after a certain point, right? Like you get so far into, in a rock band, 
how long before you start thinking, eh, hell with it, you know, I, I can do all this. Why couldn't I just play? Yeah, I, I agree. I think by the time for me personally, those, those games kind of petered out. Like I was already in my own band in high school. It's like, why would I play rock band? I'll play in the real band. But I, I do wonder, I mean, I'm not like going to say everyone my age that plays guitar is because they play Guitar Hero. But I do wonder like what kids see these days that makes them pick up a guitar. Like, do they have their own analog for like when I played Guitar Hero and was like really interested and bought my own guitar? Um yeah, I, I agree that it was kind of a victim of its own success. And I I think the people at Harmonix are stoked on that in a way. But then also, like, I don't think Harmonix will, has ever had a hit as big as Rock Band and Guitar Hero since. So I don't know. Yeah, I mean, and and I, I do think it's, I am curious how in years to come, like, what will be the moment where people are like, I'm going to get into music. Because um, to an extent, if you look at the, the musical fantasy that Harmonix is satisfying now uh it's it's mixing right it's djing and that might be where it's at to an extent right like if like if i'm thinking if i'm into pop music now as as a kid does any of what i'm listening to necessarily fire me up to be like you know i'm gonna pick up i'm i'm gonna learn guitar or am i sitting there being like man i need to learn production because i because i think it's the latter for a lot of pop music now I think it might be more the latter. Sure. Yeah. Um, I haven't played Fuser to know how well that presents that experience, but I've heard nothing but great things. And I, I'd, I'd like to see that kind of carry on that music making legacy of Guitar Hero or influencing people to make music, even if it isn't, you know, the music I'm specifically into um, for sure. So I wanted to ask you a little bit about writing something like this um first of all just out of my own morbid curiosity yeah did you hand transcribe all this how many of these were email interviews and how many of these to me they read largely like phone conversations uh i am curious how much how much transcription did you have to do here how many how many hours of conversations (laughs) uh went into this um they were all phone calls but two um the the buyer from Best Buy was an email interview, and then there was an interview I didn't use any of that was an email interview. Other than that, they were all phone calls, and I hand-transcribed all of them myself, but except for one or two that I had uh, a, f- a friend do, which is why there's a little special thanks at the bottom of the article. Um, but yeah, other than that, I mean... Each call was between an hour and two hours, so that multiplied by 26, 28, however many it ended up being. Um, I don't know the exact numbers, but yeah. Oh, wait, no, I'm sorry. Sorry, to interject, I also used for a couple interviews um, Otter AI, uh, where some of the speakers that spoke really clearly, I would use that for, um, but the majority of it, yeah, was hand transcribed. Uh, and in terms of like, how much did you, cause I know that we made our own cuts, uh, as mm-hmm. we were working this toward publication, but I'm curious how much you left on the table as well. Cause for me, that's always one of the hardest parts of this is 
I sit there and I'm like, I had an amazing two hour conversation with this person. It's incredible. Yeah. Like it's delightful. I think everyone should, everyone should be able to hear this because there's such good stuff there. And if it doesn't see the light of day, it might like, am I ever going to just release my notes? Probably not. And so I started to feel this weird, like, I just want to, I want everything out there. I want all this information to be processed and disseminated and stuff. I am curious, uh, like, did I see most of the raw product that you had or did, when you totaled it all up, was there just an absurd amount of interview content uh, that you couldn't even use in that first like rough cut of the of the oral history? Mm, I think I used as much as I could for the thing. I, I, I don't remember. Gosh, because I was also like banking questions for um, some future things with this. So it's like, you know, I'm not going to put something in there about like something very granular about like rock band three or whatever, but yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I'm trying to think. Cause when I, usually when I'm doing a big project like this, I, um, my process is to bold good quotes as I'm transcribing to go back and grab them. So it like saves me a bunch of time on having to reread everything. <sighs> I wish I remembered. Um, yeah. I worked on the thing for a year, so it's hard to remember no, and, something. And I remember we we like I think it was in editing for about like three months because yeah. like, guilty confession here, this arrived. <laughs> and like I'm I open it and I'm like, okay, so I just need to find time to edit a 70 page feature. Yeah. And I closed the document. And I don't <laughs> think I touched it for like three weeks. Cause like you keep waiting for that, like, I wonder when that 70 page feature day is gonna roll around. Yeah. And it never will. And eventually you just have to be like, all right, everybody, I'm leaving. I'm going to go read about Guitar Hero for the rest of my life. Um, <laughs> I, I think with this, because it was over 30 interviews, like there is probably a plethora of content that wasn't used. And there was quite a bit cut. I think just in the last day, I cut a little over 4,000 words. Um, I don't know what amount of that will see the light of day or be repurposed for other things in the future. But yeah, I'm interested to know like what that ratio would be now that you bring it up. I don't know. Yeah. So for uh, people who are going to be reading this on our site, um, it's an incredible article, but I think it's, it's worth mentioning that some of the packaging we did around this is, is also a bit unusual. Uh, the art for this, because like I, I had an idea and if, if I known what it was going to entail, uh, maybe I would have thought better of it, but there is a long section in the article um, or at least there was, I don't know if any of this got cut, uh, about the art style and, uh, for, for guitar hero and how much of it was influenced by gig posters and how many of the artists, uh, who were at harmonics and people they worked with, uh, were like legit, like poster artists and graphic designers for bands. And so I got the idea where I was like, hey, what if we commissioned some of these people to do art for this article? And that ended with me talking to a couple of the Harmonix uh, art team, uh, namely their ex-art director, Ryan Lesser, and uh, Paul Lyons. And they were so excited by the idea and hear about this project that rather than referring me to like freelancers that they'd worked with or something. They were like, nah, just <laughs> let us do it. Let us, let us illustrate this thing. Uh, and so, yeah, we, they were very accommodating because I came to them with a very last minute 
um, request for, for how this was going to go. And, um, you know, they don't know me at all. And so at the very end of the year, like basically starting over Thanksgiving break and into Christmas, they churned out a bunch of really cool illustrations for this piece that like having just gone through a bunch of old guitar hero concept art and such that they had in their personal archives, they like, yeah, the styles match. You you can tell this is from the actual guitar hero team. So that that is a, that is a cool detail. I think it's one of the, uh, one of the things I'm really happy we were able to get done uh, for this piece. Yeah, I was so stoked on that. Um, I actually, I didn't know you all were doing that until Jason Kendall, who was an artist on the project, emailed me about it. And I was like, "I this is news to me. And I was like waiting for a week or two, like checking my email, hoping it would come through. And I finally saw it. Like I've, I've like had the opportunity to work on pieces that were illustrated in the past. And I think, think this is maybe my favorite like those guys crushed it and it just feels so fitting for for a piece like this that like people wanted to talk about that art in those interviews so very excited that we got to get those guys on board all right Blake so obviously this thing a a project like this takes a tremendous amount of time it becomes uh it takes on a life of its own I'm curious with this thing in the book uh, what's what, what's coming up next? Uh, what are you up to these days? With this thing in the book is perhaps putting it in a book, um, but that's about all I can say about that for the time being. And then I am at Game Informer now doing uh, mainly magazine stuff, features for them, and that's about it. Yeah, Please subscribe cool. to our magazine. <laughs> All right, yeah, read read Game Informer and uh where can people keep up with you personally if they're like a must know what what Blake Hester is oh. working on these days. Yeah, on Twitter I am at I guess fittingly enough for this conversation at Metallica is rad. Um so you can follow me there and I'm posting all my links and all that good stuff. Okay, perfect. Uh, you can keep up with everything we do at waypoint.vice.com. That is also where you can find Blake's oral history of Guitar Hero. Uh, please do make the time to check it out. It is very, very cool. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Rob Zachney. You can follow the site on Twitter at Waypoint on uh, Facebook and YouTube at Waypoint Vice. Uh, Kato, where can people find you? Are you recording? I mean, yeah, I, hi, I'm at at a underscore Kato underscore appears. You didn't introduce me at the head, at the front. So (laughs) I I was like, no, you didn't. Didn't I? No, you did not. I was supposed to. (laughs) No, that's why I haven't said shit all. I mean, I was just like listening for, you know, cuts and shit. I was producing. Well, then I misread, uh, I misread my own intro. I apologize. <laughs> hey, folks, at the start of this episode, I was pro- supposed to introduce uh, Kato over here. Uh, so you'll, you'll have to remember that we have a producer. Uh, Kato, where can people find you? <laughs> at A underscore Kato underscore appears. I already said it. We're doing that again because I assume <laughs> you'll clean it up and make it sound flawless. No, it's I'm, that's all going in. That's it's, I'm sorry. <laughs> Well, so it goes. I guess uh, that that is that is me uh, being owned again by by Kato. Our theme music Hoisted. is the track. 
being hoisted. Uh, our theme music is the track Miss You off the EP Pale Machine by Bowen. Learn more at waypoint.zone slash B-O-E-N. That will do it for this episode of Waypoint Radio. We'll be back. Uh, I don't know if this is airing on a Monday or a th- or Friday, uh, but we'll be back soon with another episode of Waypoint Radio. Until then, fuck capitalism. Go home. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.